Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast, unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, a corporate exec turned author who has recently written a series of books about topics we don't often talk about. Things like death, grief, not having kids, and the unexplained power doctors often wield over us. Apparently, some of my books have made some people feel a little uncomfortable, but I felt that I wanted to have far more conversations around weird, wonderful, and sometimes taboo topics. So I reached out to some interesting people and asked them just one question. If there is one topic that you'd love society to talk more about, what would it be and why? And what they've shared with me has been amazing. So let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us. We haven't been brought up in an equal, diverse world. We've been brought up in a very repressed approach and it's still repressed and we're conditioning and brainwashing our children to do the same thing. Nadia Joy is one of those people that you love the moment you meet her. She's warm, engaging, talks from the heart, but pulls no punches. Nadia is the founder of transformational leadership company, NadiaJoy.com, a company that teaches leaders and founders to lead from the inside, authentically, and to find a way of leading that brings out the best in them and their teams. She helps leaders gain a deep understanding of why they do what they do, become self-aware of their impact, and to take ownership. Her work is deeply transformational. A self-professed love teacher, Nadia is also building a community of women through her new venture, Rainbow Fire Love Queen, whose mission it is to teach women how to love themselves from the inside out, just as they are. So very wabi-sabi. I love it. Nadia is such a divine human to be around, and I'm super excited to sit down with her. Nadia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, beautiful Michelle, for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So if there is one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Well, right at the moment, I'm kind of a bit obsessed with conditioning. Uh, So that's uh, what we've been conditioned to become, both men and women, society, kids. I've been doing tons of reflecting on it, especially in COVID, and just looking at the patterns and and where negative behaviours come from. You know, of course, my own and then how I parent boys and what the implications of, you know, that that's going to have on them as men. Because I really do see that I'm making men. So what we're conditioned as people, like as in humans, and then drilling down a little bit more is the conditioning that occurs to us as men and as women. Is that sort of where you're coming from? I was really exploring my young son. He's six and he's a very passionate, charismatic little fella. And he's talking about marriage already. He said, there's some girls that keep prep mum, you know, pre-lockdown, you know, they want to marry me. And I'm I was just really, I'm like, oh gosh, why? Why is this happening at six? And and, and then I was like, well, of course, this is all you do when you're a girl is you're raised and conditioned to one day, if you're lucky enough, somebody will choose to marry you and, you know, you'll have kids and then you'll live happily ever after. I thought, God, it's 2020. Surely we're not still conditioning our kids to do this. Surely we've changed in the programming or televisions or, or you know, television shows or whatever. But the truth is we haven't changed at all, not when it comes to conditioning. He's getting marriage proposals at six and he's already, I mean, it's, it kills me. No, I hate it. So I said to him, and then uh, he was, he's also a bit besotted with really attractive women. And that also has deeply disturbed me because I'm like, how do you even know what's attractive and where is this coming from? And so then I started 
putting it together and thinking about he loves superheroes. Yeah, because I guess you'd question whether, you know, is it you? Are you doing something to, you know, promote that or, yeah, interesting. And, and definitely not. So, well, I don't think I am, but definitely not. No, well, but, that's not your style. I know you're well enough to know that's not, but you would question yourself, right? But but lots of things. And I, I'll give you so many examples. And I so, it, you know, I was watching Batman and, of course, I was looking at the sirens in all the hero movies, tight suits, all busty, all sexy and, and then the superhero becomes like, you know, disorientated when the woman walks in and the man's got no power. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, you've already picked this up in what? You started watching this at four, maybe five, some of these shows. And in one or two years, you've decided that beautiful is better and you now know what it looks like. You can see it. it has a, you're having a physical response to it. So I'm like, I'm doing an intervention. So I said to him, all right, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about women and men and dating and love. This is, he's six, my other son's 10. Poor kids, really. <laughs> I I love it. We're and sitting I, down, we're having an intervention. No, because I do an intervention all the time. I inter- my kids know, right? And even my friends' kids know because I do an intervention on their kids. And the, all my friends talk about, they go, we love your intervention. And they go, tell our kids off, do it. Because so, I start doing these ones, you know, and I'm, I'm in. Uh, and I said to him, we fall in love with minds and hearts, not faces or bodies. And I said, so observe your physical responses. And my 10-year-old's like going, yeah, Nicholas, we're deep. We look inside people. I'm like, yeah, good egg. You're good. You're 10. Good answer. That's good. <laughs> and my other son's like, what? And my six-year-old has got like, nah, no chance, nothing. But I thought, geez, I'm going to have some work to do here. Uh, certainly not what I demonstrate. Uh, it's not what their dad demonstrates. We're not together. But we talk about love. We, we talk about same-sex marriage. We talk about inclusion. We talk about transgender. My I, I watch Queer Eye with my eldest son. You know, like I, I'm trying to be as inclusive and diverse as I can, but I can't match superheroes and I can't match TV and I can't match these movies that still portray you know, the impact that a beautiful woman has on a man and it deeply disturbs me. I'm deeply disturbed by it. So then I start looking at all my friendships and and men in my life and, and what they do and what their response is to a beautiful woman. I still know lots of men who also can't concentrate when they, they see what they perceive as a beautiful woman. And then I look at lots of women who I think are progressive and modern with low self-esteems, who are hustling for love in all the wrong places, thinking that the, the success equals relationship love. And unless I've got one, I'm not successful and I'm not happy. And then they use sexuality, or, you know, to go and get that love and approval. I'm thinking, why can we not evolve from this? Like what what is at the root cause of this? Like what's driving this and what's stopping us from evolving? So I'm on a quest and a campaign at the moment. If you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me, I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at hello at wabisabiseries.com. Let's head back to the chat. How can we change that though? What can we do to make a difference there? I think it starts with how we raise our kids. And I'll use another example. I was at a girlfriend's house. She has a son. And the three of us, we'd all had lunch and then 
the kids got up and walked away uh, and she she's like, that's all right, I'll clean the dishes. I said, yeah, no thanks. Boys, my boys, you come back and clean your own dishes and, in fact, you can do the grown-ups. We're at somebody else's house. You can be respectful. And she looked at me I said, I'm raising men. What message are you sending to your men? Now, I wasn't judging her, you know, raise your kids how you see fit, but don't think that you can serve your son or daughter for 20 years and they're going to be independent or they're going to not think that women serve me when I get up. It's the same thing. So I really do feel that all transformation and systemic change starts within the family. Same as Black Lives Matter and diversity. You have to show your kids, you know, I'm a white privileged female, you know, there's not a lot of black people in my life. And I'm like, oh God, I've got to get more racial diversity. Like how do I meet more diverse people? Like that really bothered me, that movement. I was sitting there thinking, geez, I got slapped in the face because I'm not racist at all, but I'm certainly not part of the solution and I had to have a big wake-up call and you know start and talking about this with my kids and I'm learning just starting to devour that information and really try and teach my kids about that so I feel like it's the same thing it starts at home and you have to change the way you do everything In my life, I've got some formidable, amazing women that are on the global stage running big companies. And then I would sort of see their behaviors in their homes and the way that they would treat their husbands or different things that would happen. I was like, whoa, like, hang on. What, how does that, you know, almost subservient in particular circumstances. And I just can't help myself over to be like you with your kids and saying stuff. I was like, so why is it that you, you know, you've been with your husband for 15 years and you still pick up his like shit, like all his clothes on the floor and whatever. And she's like, oh yeah, because he won't do it. I'm like, that's because you do it. And you go away for work and you make all his meals, pre-do it and put it all in the freezer. And so I'm like, what, what planet? Like, but again, right? Like they didn't realize because it's always, and it's almost like that case of it's just easier to do it. I'm like, no, no, have the conversation. Like he's literally treating you like a, you know, a servant, but you're allowing that to happen as well. And I think, you know, my poor husband, it's like, you know, we, everything's kind of equal on that sort of regard. I'm like, we're equal as humans. He probably now does more cooking than I do and cleaning and stuff because of the amount that I've always sort of traveled with work and whatever. But um, it's always been a level playing field. And some days it tips higher on one side or on the other, but it is around, to your point about the conditioning and where people say, oh, that's, you know, that's acceptable. And that's like, you can't, and actually a really good example when you were talking about your kids before is my growing up, my mum was fierce. You know, she ran away at home 14, rebelled against the Catholic church. She was a powerful woman. And she was fierce in the sense of, you know, women's liberation. And, you know, she brought me up like you can do anything you want and you can be anything you want. And so I did a lot of boys sports typically, and they really supported me on that. But my elder brother got away with murder. And I remember he never had to do the dishes. He never used to have to do any housework. And I remember saying to her, I must have been about 14 or 15, I lost it this day. And I'm like, why doesn't he have to do it? He's like, well, he's a boy. And I kind of went, oh, my God, (laughs) like everything you've been teaching me. And this is how your son, like, this is the example at home. And she, I remember she looked at me like I was weird. It's like it never occurred to her. And I find that fascinating, this double standard that I watch that mothers have for boys and girls. Now, I had a sister. My mum was a subservient woman and my father was a man pig. So he was the laziest man ever imaginable. No, he wasn't really a man pig. Um, it's true. He's, Sorry, de- <laughs> he's really true. Wow, never quite heard that before. <laughs> it's really true. And uh, he's, you know, it's all good. Uh, I called him that, so it's okay. Um, I've forgiven and love him. He's long past now. But she used to cook his dinner. He used to call out coffee from the bed, coffee. And my mum would literally make him a coffee. 
that was my conditioning. So I rebelled against that. So I am not being that woman and I'm not going to do that. And I certainly didn't because I just can't stand it. But I can't stand when I watch people in relationships, you, you really look, I've, I watch so many women lose themselves. They become their mother and they judge their mother and they become this servant to a man. And, and men take that role on because they've watched their father do it and his father and every man that they know. And it's very rare to hear a couple like you, like still in 2020, like you are rare. Yeah, I think so. And interesting because a lot of people come around and they cannot believe that my husband, like he's like a gourmet cook now. He makes the most amazing meals. But why is that incredible? Like why is that? Well, I know. They can't believe, like, I agree with you. saying that triggers me. I'm like, hang on, why have we made that normal? So I say to my kids, I'm not your butler. I'm not your butler. We do all of this. So from a very young age, they were independent. They help cook breakfast. They make their own lunches. They help with dinner. They do washing. So my other son, didn't. if they don't put their, take their clothes off the right way, um, they have to do the washing. So he did, uh, I went to the basket and there were clothes there. So I said, all right, come on. And so I literally made him do all the whole family's washing, everything in the right way, spray it. And he's like, wow. I said, you do that again. It's the, everybody's washing for a week. That's washed, dried, fold up, put away. He goes, mum, that's harsh. I said, no, that's right. You'll thank me when you're 30. That's reality. <laughs> that's life, babe. <laughs> but, but, but you know what else it does? It makes boys, the, the other thing I think mothers do too, is they do all the nurturing and because uh, I work with a lot of men and I and I notice lots of patterns and tendencies with men. So they don't know how to be alone. They don't know how to do the nurturing and the soft skills that, that women do so well. And so, so they don't know how to care for them and that's because they've gone from the mother did all the loving, nurturing and caring and they didn't have to do it themselves where girls typically want to take on that, their own role themselves. They don't want their mother looking after them once they're, you know, teenagers. So, well, I certainly didn't and my sister certainly didn't. So I teach my boys how to self-soothe as well, like emotionally. So when they're hurt, I give them what they need very shortly and then I go, now, what do you want? And my little son will say, I want my blanket. I said, well, how about you go get your blanket and I'm going to make him get a blanket and a teddy and sit where he wants and hold his arm or soothe himself so that he's, I'm just trying to find ways so that, that they learn all these skills that men tend to replace or need a woman to do because that also sets up the role. I, I want to be in a relationship with you. I won't self-care. I won't look after myself. I don't know how to do anything because my mother did it for me. And now whether you know it or not, or whether you like it or not, I'm going to expect you to do that. And we're probably going to fight about it you know, tomorrow I wake up, you know, five years later and you're yelling at me because I'm not doing the washing or the cleaning or I'm not looking after myself and you're doing it all, which is the women I've coached. Many, many, many women are like, oh my God, what is he, a child? Yes. Not because he is a child, but because no one's shown him. And he hasn't done haven't. anything different. Yeah. And you don't have to fight them. You just don't do it. You just literally don't do it. You have to take action and stop doing and being everything for that person, you know? And I think it's an interesting time, obviously, at the moment with, you know, so many people at home, you know, in, in unusual circumstances, like at home 24-7 all the time. And, you know, I think that I was talking about this recently around the statistics saying actually the, you know, career women that are actually working from home doing the homeschooling and actually have gone backwards a number of years because of they're doing all the domestic work as well as holding their full-time job and homeschooling and their husbands or partners or are not 
you know, picking up the slack as well. So it's been really fascinating to see. So, but um, I think your point about, you know, it starts at home and it starts, you know, with our kids and stuff is a really good one. The other interesting thing for me is I've always kind of questioned around that, you know, a lot of people do something for others, especially early on in a relationship, because it comes out of love. You know, it's like, well, I want to do your washing for you. I want to make all your meals for you because, you know, we're in the honeymoon phase and we've just, you know, got together and I want to spoil you and I want to show you how much I love you and conversations I've had with girlfriends over the years it's like well you're kind of setting you know you're making your own rod for your back right because like your partner doesn't know any different it doesn't matter if it's a male female like a lot of you know my girlfriends with they have a female partner and they've got one that's actually probably a little bit more lazy than the other and uh they're like well you know my partner she doesn't do anything and I do all the stuff and I'm like yeah well you've probably set those boundaries up and so you know we'll set the scene for that it's actually time to sit down and go you know how do you want to live like that together and so again an example for me as you say with my husband and I we might be unusual one thing is he's 20 years older than me so when we first got together his first wife she was a stay-at-home mum so he was preconditioned so if you're going to talk about anyone learning anything else I was like yeah that's not going to happen mate like (laughs) I travel a lot if you don't learn how to cook because he couldn't really cook when I first met him because she commandeered the the kitchen you know and that was that was her domain and, and she was an amazing cook apparently so but I said to him I travel I'm away three days a week if you don't learn how to cook you're going to starve fundamentally for me though it comes back to respect And I always bring it back to that. It's actually the respect that you and I have for each other as equal humans is that I would love to cook you dinner and do it for you and hopefully you appreciate it. But equally, I expect you to do that back for me. Not everyone can cook, but we all can learn. I totally agree. And, you know, I challenge you just on one thing. I think that why people don't do it is not because of love. I think it's because they're hustling for love. I'm going to overinvest in you to start to prove to you hustling for love in all the wrong ways, I call it. It's outsourcing. Because if you have true love and it's unconditional, then it shouldn't be based upon I love her because she cooks or I love her because she's cleaning up after me. And if you are cleaning and cooking to get his love and approval, it's not true love anyway. You're setting up a false premise. Yeah, definitely some people do that. But equally, I think I actually really enjoy doing that. What I mean, though, the start of a relationship, you sort of do a lot more for each other than you do later on. You know, we've been together nearly 20 years, but we still have that huge respect, you know. I made dinner for Dennis last night, I think, and he was just like, this is beautiful, thank you so much. And then equally, you know, it's lovely. Like I'd do it for him. What I was meeting was at the new start when you overgive, at the start of a relationship when you overgive, I think that can be done for the wrong reasons. A lot of the drivers and a lot of the people I've worked with, you know, they're trying to be their shiny, bright, capable selves. Obviously, once you're in a relationship, equality and respect is give and take. And I love cooking for people. I love also cooking for my kids. Like it's not like uh, uh, I'm going to cook my breakfast and not yours. No, not like a chore at all. But like you said before earlier, if you set that pattern up, you'll you'll never break it. And then what I want... What women do is they do everything for their husbands and then 10 years later resent the hell out of them. Yeah, and then they blame them and I'm like, hang on, have you actually looked at the fact that you've kind of done this as well? And that's where I've had conversations with girlfriends over the years going, wow, like I'm sorry to say but you are like subservient to your husband and they're like, what? And I'm like, let me just give you a few examples. I'm like, I see you on the global stage as a CEO of this company and you are fucking amazing. Like you are a rock star and then I come and stay with you in your house and this is what happens. And they're like, well, I just want to keep the peace or whatever. I'm like, nah, it just doesn't wash. Like I said, I just think you've got a blind eye to it and you don't even realize what's kind of going on. And I'm not going to tell you how to live your life and, you know, run your marriage, but you complain about that. 
you're kind of adding to the problem, right? really agree and I, I really agree that most women actually think it's their job and their duty still in 2020 to be this role, to be sexy and attractive, to get a man. At first when I was looking at, you know, men and women and sirens and superheroes, I was sort of a bit resentful of the men and then I had to remember that they've been conditioned that that's what self-esteem looks like too, that self-esteem for them is a beautiful woman. I really do think, like you said, it's shocking to see so, and I'm surrounded by successful career women as well, and they're often the worst. One of the things I wanted to ask, so we talked about, so the conditioning element, what can people do? So how can we be better at this? One, as you say, in terms of helping your children, helping at home. And then if you are in a relationship where the balance is a little bit skewed, and my kind of take on this is it's actually very difficult to change things overnight. There might be a bit of a stage approach, but I'm curious on your view of that as well and how we can help people that and uh, listening to us recognising, going, oh, that's kind of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think it is going to be lots of people's lives. So the first thing you have to do is you have to own that you've Mm -hmm. been conditioned. So I would ask yourself, like, why you do what you do? So what role do you take on in your family and where did you learn that from? I do all the cooking, all the cleaning, I'm doing all the shopping, all the finances, I manage the meals, but I'm really controlling and dominating as well. So you have to just list all the things. You have to be honest because before you approach your kids or your partner, you have to be prepared to let go. When you're going to break patterns in conditioning, when you're going to get your children to start learning how to be independent and your husband, so to speak, then it's not going to be done to your standard. My ex-husband, for example, he used to have to make his bed every morning, but then his mother would go in and remake it. So he stopped making it and he's never made his bed since. Interesting example. Yeah. Or picking on them, like if they've done, you know, the laundry and it's not right or whatever, if they've done, you know, the, the, the shopping and they've missed stuff. It's just kind of a gentle reminder. And yeah, it's not baby feeding, but you know, there's, as I say, it's not going to change overnight. So I think that's a really good point of you have to let go the perfectionism yeah, as well. Yeah, you do. And women have such high expectations and standards and we compete off each other. Remember, that's what women do. Men don't care about how the house looks. They care about how successful they are. You know, that's what men tend to do. But women are all about, you know, clean, organized, home-cooked meals, natural, all of that stuff. So you're going to have to let go of all of that. But first of all, you are going to have to face that you've been programmed and that this is not your natural inheritance. And if we started again and we were born and it was equal, we'd be very different human beings right now. We haven't been brought up in an equal diverse world. We've been brought up in a very repressed approach and it's still repressed and we're conditioning and brainwashing our children to do the same thing. So you have to face that. It's just the truth whether you like it or not. And then once you've got your head around that and you can own it, then you have to say, okay, this is what I think's fair. And I would take the jobs that you love rather than you hate. I would try and work out, I love cooking. I'm happy to do the washing. And I would literally divvy the chores up between children and adults and it would just become a family roster. I recognise that years ago my husband loves doing supermarket shopping. And I remember he announced that a long time ago and I was like, what? Like I couldn't think of anything worse. So then I'm like, well, what is it? What's the job that you hate? And he goes, I hate cleaning the bathroom. I'm like, good. So we did a trade-off. And you know what most couples fight over is this stuff. That's what they fight over. Yeah, I agree. And it's petty, isn't it? It's ridiculous. And it breaks a couple down. And, of course, now in COVID, it's going to be brutal. The housework's so much worse and the, because you've got everyone's at home and, you know, women love to have it done and sorted. And, you know, I am making generalisations, but they're based upon programming and conditioning and the work in which I'm doing and I've done. So I would also start having conversations where we start correcting, you know, what a child's perception of marriage equals. You know, 
look, I would start breaking those down and talking about them and having harsh and honest conversations, whether it be about movies and sirens or supermodels or we just need to break down, look at where you've been conditioned. Like is your body image conditioned? Who taught you that that's what's ideal? And what's sad is that, that really, you know, we are really all quite a lot of us until we've faced it, acknowledged a part of ourselves, we have been programmed. And our kids get programmed through the televisions they watch and through the television shows they watch and the examples from other children who are being programmed and conditioned as well. So it's everywhere. A beautiful thing you said before was around instead of, you know, teaching your children, especially two sons, that, you know, these are jobs like and this is a, a woman's job and this is a man's job, you actually talked about teaching them to be independent. And I think, you know, if we if we are kind of helping our children and, you know, to become more independent and just learning life skills, right? And that comes in lots of different forms and it's a beautiful way to approach it. I think independence equals self-esteem. So, you know, the people I've worked with, the more they know how to do, the more confident they are. So that's one of the reasons I want my boys to know how to do washing and cooking and cleaning and gardening. And one, I don't want them to see me be this relentless, tireless worker and that I just serve them and sit on the couch. And it's funny, when I take them to my mum's house, they're awful because she just runs after them with food and anything they want they can have. I thought, oh, mum, baby man pigs. I said, I am not raising baby man pigs. Do not do it. Get back to the table, finish your dinner because if they don't finish it, she'll just go and take it to them and they can finish it on the lap watching TV. I'm like, we don't have food in front of the TV, mum. We sit at the table. The boys do the dishes. They clean up the placemats. You know, we sweep the floor. That's how we do it. So I really think the, the most important part about reprogramming yourself is face the truth and see where you're conditioned write it down second of all start talking about it and start teaching your kids how to become independent and let go and then do a you know chore tally just on that and then you start watching the world around you you will die yeah you have new eyes to it it's beautiful so Nadi, with your work with rainbow fire love queen it's a beautiful name for your new business and creation and development can you talk to me a little bit about this is obviously the work that you're doing with people. Just expand a little bit on that for us to kind of bring this full circle. Yeah, sure. So I do two things. I I do transformational leadership work with founders and startups and, you know, senior leadership teams. That's my client work. But then I I felt like I was missing out or, or wasn't sharing enough of what I've known and learned from 20 years Uh, 26 years actually of personal growth and development and so I started a community called Rainbow Fire Love Queen and I didn't name it Uh, so that's there's a great story to that name that's another time Uh, and it's really to teach women how to love themselves from the inside out because I realized that self-love is is at the root cause of most suffering from my 27 years of experience and that when you love yourself you know it's a bit like loving your imperfect self when we can love our imperfect selves then we can let go of a lot of suffering and a lot of self-doubt and a lot of anguish and comparison when you go I am who I am you know this is it and so and again we don't know you know, how to love ourselves. You know, we know how we have conditional self-love, which is based upon if I'm and this weight and I look like this and I do this and I mother like this or I parent like that, you know, then then I can love myself. And I realise it's such a flaw in humanity, let alone women, that I, I, I wanted to do something about it. So it's fairly new. It's a fairly new project right now, but it's beautiful. And I'm building this beautiful little tribe of women who just deeply want to learn self-acceptance and self-love. And it's not, it's not fuzzy. 
fuzzy and warm. It's it's really hard to love your messy self. It's it's much easier to love your perfect self. Don't we know it? <laughs> Why do you think I created the Wabi Sabi series? I created a business around <laughs> reminding me daily to embrace my own imperfection because, um, yeah, it's taken me a lot over the years to, to do that. And I think that's true mastery. I think what, what we don't understand is that none of us are perfect and we're not meant to be and it's not what life's about. It's about experience and joy and love and pleasure and grief and sadness and sorrow and it's all of them. Like you're vulnerable when you fall in love but you're vulnerable when you express your feelings or a truth in a meeting. This idea that that we want perfect lives and perfect selves and perfect bodies and perfect wealth is it, just nonsense. It's a pipe dream. We all die. We're messy. We bleed. We die. We suffer, we love, we fight, you know, we have to get used to that. We have to normalize that. And that's what self-love is all about to me. Self-love is accepting the human experience. I love it. As always, you are so beautifully passionate and uh, have such a wonderful, warm sense, but also so real. And, you know, you cut through the crap, which I just love about you, Nadia. So such a great conversation. Thank you so much for uh, chatting with me today. Thank you. It's been absolutely great. Any chance to spread the love you've got me, especially when it's about imperfection. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute privilege. If you'd like to learn more about today's guest, you'll find all the show notes and interesting links on our website, wabisabiseries.com. If you'd like to hear more unexpected conversations, please subscribe to the series, follow us on our socials, or grab one of my books. And if you're in a generous mood, I'd love you to share the episode or maybe even rate, review and comment on the series. It really does make a difference. Until next time, be sure to claim your own piece of Wabi Sabi and walk proud in your perfect imperfection.